Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hope everybody had a great hockey week across America last week. You know we did. It was a great weekend in Tahoe for those who were able to go out there and cover that event. I was not there, but it was fun to watch on television. A couple of great games. Well, one great game that took forever to finish in another game that wasn't so great, but it was great if you were a Bruins fan. I know that much. Football score out there between the Patriots and Eagle, uh, Bruins and Flyers. 7-3 Bruins with that big win. More importantly, Avs got that win out in Tahoe, finally erasing those outdoor demons. Getting a victory in Nevada as the home team against Vegas. You get it. But a great event all around. It was fun to watch the guys go out there and fun to figure out what you were going to do for eight hours in between. We'll talk a little bit about that. We ran a poll question asking you what you did during that eight-hour layover between the first period and second period. Longest intermission ever. But we made it through and the Avs got the W in the end. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano, welcoming you into episode number seven. Avalanche split a four-game series with Vegas. We talked about game one during last week's show. We'll talk about the other three here today. Look ahead to the opponents this week. First time this season, the Avs are going to have three different opponents in the same week. At least, you know, between two episodes of this podcast, which is now how weeks are defined from Tuesday to Tuesday, or in this case, Wednesday to Wednesday. Just a reminder, the podcast is going to debut on Wednesdays from now on when the Avalanche have a Monday game. So if they don't play Monday, you'll get your new podcast on Tuesday. If they play on Monday, you'll have to wait another 24 hours. I didn't write the schedule. Don't get mad at me. I just want to make sure I'm as up to date as possible when we debut the new show every week. That's got to make sense, right? I don't want to put out a new episode and record it the same night a game is happening and then We don't talk about that game. That doesn't make sense. And I'm also not staying up until the crack of dawn to record a podcast. I love you all very, very dearly. And thank you for listening in. But I'm just not going to do that. So I also have to take care of myself and watch my own health at the same time. You can go on Twitter and follow us at Believe in Avs. That's at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Share your thoughts about the show. What do you want me to talk about next week? I get some good suggestions every now and again. And sometimes they make it into the show. Who knows? Maybe you're next. You can follow me personally, too, on social media, on Twitter, at Eric underscore Pesolano. Same handle over on Instagram. Let me hear your thoughts about anything. I don't even care, hockey-related or not. Let me know. I'm here to be a shoulder. I will help where I can. I am not a licensed therapist, but at least we can get through the losses as best we can. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about Tahoe, right? It was a great Saturday turned into Saturday night out in State Line, Nevada. Connor McGahey from Altitude Sports Radio is going to stop by. We're going to chat a little bit about his experience. He was there. He's going to tell us what that was like. Looked like it was a great time. And really, before we get things underway, just real quick, want to send my best wishes out to Tiger Woods. Of course, a very, very scary situation on Tuesday with his automobile accident, so... Best wishes to Tiger. Hopefully you heal up and we'll get to see you out on the course as soon as possible. Switching back over to hockey. Good news for the Colorado Avalanche. First time since February 3rd, the entire COVID-19 list is clear. We saw the players on the COVID list all come back. Gerard, Jost, and Landeskog, to name a few. Of course, they needed to make room for those gentlemen to come back, so a few players were sent back down to the American Hockey League and or the taxi squad, Hunter Miska, going back to the Colorado Eagles. Jacob McDonald, Jason Megna, headed back to the taxi squad. Key for Sherwood sent there as well. So more roster management needed to be done by Joe Sackick and Jared Bednar and company, but they're handling it well. You take a look at all the moves they've had to make this year. They've played 11 defensemen so far. Almost two complete units of defensemen have touched the ice for Colorado this year, which just before the week started was the most in the NHL, tied with Pittsburgh. LA and Arizona had played 10, 
Those numbers shifted a little bit throughout the week, but 11 defensemen at the start of the week had touched the ice for the Avalanche. And the roster wasn't everything that was changing. Of course, all those schedule changes had to be made. More announcements made on Tuesday that all those games against St. Louis, well, it was one game against St. Louis that needed to be rescheduled, but they shifted a few other things around just to make everything work out, whether it's venue availability, traveling, off days, all that stuff has to come into alignment. So we'll talk about those nine games. We'll start with the games coming up this week. Of course, Wednesday night, Avalanche going to take on the Minnesota Wild. That game was originally scheduled on February 4th. It was supposed to be the final game of that four-game set after the Avs beat the Wild 2-1. So they pushed that game back almost three weeks. Because of that, Avalanche supposed to play the Coyotes on the 25th and 27th of this month, which are coming up in just a few days. But that would put the Minnesota and Arizona games back-to-back and travel needed in between. So they pushed the first Arizona game back. Now they'll play the 26th and the 27th, so Friday, Saturday, back-to-back games instead so they can get out to the desert. And then they'll resume on Monday, the 20, or uh, excuse me, March 1st. It is not a leap year this year, although it feels like the longest year ever, that's for sure. And then the game against St. Louis that needed to be rescheduled back from February 7th is moved to April 20th, and it's also going to switch venues. It was supposed to be in Denver, now it's going to be in St. Louis. And with that, they move the April 20th game up to April 2nd. That game will now be in Denver. And then the game on April 3rd, to accommodate a lot of that switching around and playing at certain times, they will no longer play a 1 p.m. game on April 3rd against the Blues. They're going to move it to 7 p.m. to give them more time between those back-to-backs on April 2nd and April 3rd. So for those of you who were able to keep track of that in your head while you're listening to this and driving or you're in the middle of working from home on your laptop or even at work listening to this and you didn't write that down, rewind it, listen to it again, get out a pen and paper. I probably should have prefaced that explanation with all this and I didn't so that's on me my bad but at least you have a rewind button so go ahead and just slide all the way back to the beginning of this explanation or don't and you'll be surprised when new games pop up on the schedule the big takeaway from all this rescheduling this is this one's rough no longer will the avalanche have a two-day break between any two games for the rest of the regular season only one day at the most that is going to wear down on this team heavily It's already started. They had the long break between their last game and going to Tahoe. They gave them a few days off to travel to Tahoe. After that, and these reschedulings, no longer will they have a two-day break between any two games. That's going to be tough to deal with. They're going to have to figure it out. Leg's going to have to get stronger. Maybe that leads to more movement between the taxi squad and the big club. Who knows? But we know Joe and Jared have been able to figure it out this far. And you got to put your faith in them that they're going to do the right thing. It's going to ruin practice rhythm for the rest of the year once the schedule gets filled up. But you know what? You're not the favorites, or whatever, for nothing. So you got to go out there and perform. And perform they did in that second game of the four-game set against the Vegas Golden Knights, which is going to kick off our game recaps for this week. The game played back on the 19th against the Vegas Golden Knights. Great start in this one for Colorado. 20 seconds in, they had a great chance. This team scores early, it feels like, more than any other team. They didn't score terribly early, but it was early in this one, just not within the first couple of minutes like it seems like they do almost every night. They did get a power play early, but they weren't able to do anything. We're going to talk more about the power plays as we go along throughout these game recaps, and I may blow a gasket, but power play unit overall for the year, Numbers look good. Just recently, they have not performed well. The good news is, is when you're on the power play, you're really taking away scoring chances from the other team, so you take them where you can get them. Even if you don't score, you'll still take that small two-minute victory. There was a shorthanded attempt on that first power play that the Avalanche allowed, but Phil Grubauer was able to come up big. and uh, Big is an understatement with this guy. We'll talk about that as the show moves along. Got to see an early fight uh, with Dennis Gilbert and Colasar over there for... Vegas getting into one, and he caught Gilbert pretty good in that nose. He was uh, he was flowing from the nostrils in the penalty box. <laughs> I had to call in the hazmat team to clean that stuff up, but uh, he was fine. 
Connor Timmons had a turnover at the offensive blue line in that period, which his struggles certainly have continued. He's been taking some penalties lately. A couple of them borderline. Penalties nonetheless. Belmar looked like he was going to have a great chance at an empty net goal for the most part, but Nick Holden over there got a great stick. Sometimes you got to be lucky rather than good to get things done. Nick Holden certainly did there. And then there was another turnover by the Avs, and Gru had to make a save, but then finally they break through as we see Nathan McKinnon on that one-timer from Miko Rantanen to get his third goal of the year. Saad helped out. Avs let it 1-0 after that first period. Did have a couple more power plays before that period ended. By that time the frame was up, they had ended up 0 for their last 12 on the man advantage. They outshot the Knights in that first period 9-7, headed into that second period. Phil's got to make a couple quick saves in the first 37 seconds, and then Kadri has a nice two-on-one attempt on Flurry, who makes a big save. Remember, White Cloud ringing one off the iron. It, it, good back and forth between the two teams to start the period. Avalanche offense just absolutely buzzing around Marc-Andre Fleury, and this was when things really started to go haywire as far as the Avalanche versus Marc-Andre Fleury battle. Of course, you all remember, spoiler alert, they won this game, but that was when you saw Marc-Andre really starting to get into a rhythm and recognizing the puck coming off the sticks of anybody wearing the burgundy and blue. Vegas tied things up, Pacioretty had a goal through traffic, and this guy, his snipes, when he's got just a little bit of space, he doesn't need a ton, but when he's got a little bit of space, and there's a slight chance he can fit one through a lane, he's going to do it. You have to get on top of him. Theodore had the assist there. At this point in time, Vegas had only scored twice against Colorado in those first two games. Remember, they won the first one, one to nothing. Now they tie it up at one here in the second period of the second game of the four-game set. So he had both Golden Knights goals against the Avs so far at that point. Saad comes right back, though, gets one from Donskoy. That was the one with the beautiful floater Donskoy had through traffic, and Saad was able to beat him five holes, 63 seconds after Vegas scored. So they get the lead right back. Ryan Graves gets a helper on the play, and then a few minutes later, I have written in my notes. Obviously, I don't remember all these games off the top of my head. I got notes, right? Phil Grubauer, I have written OMG Grubauer with the glove snap on Petrangelo. And that's really all you needed to know. I didn't put anything else in my notes for that. That's all, all you needed. All you needed to know. You've seen the highlight a billion times. That was the point where I think Phil Grubauer really started to get into a groove. So we go to the third period. It's 2-1. to one. First few minutes, back and forth. Not a whole lot going on. Sheldon Drys gets called for holding. Use the offhand to, to spin uh, the night down to the ice. A little bit of a flurry in front for Vegas during the power play, but nothing really going on. A, a mini breakaway after the power play. Grubauer, by himself, one-on-none, able to make another save, which we haven't seen the Avs do much in the world of the shootout this year. They haven't even participated in one yet this year. They've gone to overtime a couple of times, won one, lost one, but haven't made it all the way to the shootout. So, hey, you get some practice in here. Vegas ties it up, March or so, Johnny on the spot with the backhand in front after the rebound, mess of bodies everywhere. Miko Rantanen was standing still at the blue line when Vegas entered the zone. Carlson and Smith came in and got things started as March or so was able to bear that rebound, so you're not too happy with number 96, but there's really not a whole lot to be unhappy with him about in the grand scheme of things, so hey, whatever. Sometimes things don't go right for you. Flurry comes up with a few huge saves down the stretch, McKinnon gets drilled down to the ice. He was spun down. Everybody on the ice stopped. No whistle. And again, the refs versus Colorado chatter starts again up on Twitter. I'm sure you all follow it during games. But coming up in the clutch once again, it's Clutch Kadri. Nazem buries one. Donskoy and Byram with the assist. The kid helping out there. Avs take the lead with 41 seconds to go. Give them two points as Vegas can't do anything with the extra attacker. Avs win it 3-2. to two. Kadri has to be your number one star in that one with that game winner. And he played well throughout the entire game. Grubauer 27-29 in the save department. He only gets the number two star because two goals went in. And I gave Bo Byram that third star in that game. 25 minutes, 3 seconds, time on ice. His role's increasing. He had an assist on the game-winning goal. And you can tell he's finally settling in. He looked like he was settling in in game one. He was getting confident but wasn't really jumping in to plays as often. And now, don't even get me started. This is all he does. And now we're going to go ahead and take a look back 
at the glorious weekend it was in Tahoe, and I couldn't think of anybody better to sit down and talk about that weekend than Connor McGahey from Altitude Sports Radio 92.5 FM. He's the voice of the Avalanche. Connor, how are you? Thanks for being here. Oh, Eric, uh, I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. I could think of a couple other people who would probably be better to talk to, but since they all said no, I'm happy to be here. I tried to leave that part out. The rejection letters were a mess. It's okay. I'm. I'm. I want to be honest with everybody. Give them a little radio veritas here. It's. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> it, it's good to be here today. Awesome. All right. So let's go ahead and. I would love for you to set the scene of what it was like out there. For for those of us who were not fortunate enough to be in attendance, it looked spectacular on television. I can only imagine that it was so much better in person. What was it like being out there in Tahoe? I, it, it was fabulous. And the event was made for television. I thought that the NHL and NBC did a nice job of showing everybody what it was actually like because I came back home Sunday and then watched Boston and Philadelphia uh, play in the second game in Honda Outdoors, NHL Outdoors on Sunday. <clears throat> and uh, what you see on TV is what we all saw. And I think that was kind of the idea to begin with. But it's interesting because you, you fly into Reno and you, there's mountains to your right and you sort of drive over the foothills and then the freeway ends and it's sort of a winding road, Highway 50, that goes up through the foothills over Spooner Pass and then down uh, into the, the uh, Nevada side, which ends up being State Line Nevada. And all of a sudden, you have these, these four hotels sort of pop out of the trees. And uh, just beyond that, you have Lake Tahoe. And it, uh, it was wonderful because you got there uh, on Friday. And as soon as we got there, after practice had concluded for both Vegas and the avalanche, the wind kicked up and it was just spraying off the lake and making everyone's glasses. You know, we needed windshield wipers on the glasses. But uh, but then that night it started to snow, got about four, maybe five inches of snow. So that made the scene even even more pristine snow on the trees. Uh, it, w it was calm in the morning, couple other light flurries coming down. Uh, and so you, 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 you felt in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the woods, and you're in this golf resort. Edgewood is beautiful. The lake is there, and it's not a, a, a torrent of water. The, the waves lap nicely right against the shore, which is 20 feet away from a rink, which is it, it's sort of, you know, unimaginable. We never would have thought of that before. And then the sun comes out, and as beautiful as it was, it lights up the, the mountains on the California side. Uh, as beautiful as it is, it's not the friend of an outdoor ice sheet. And all the credit in the world to the ice crew because they took what was pretty much uh, slushy from 7-Eleven and turned it into oh. a pristine sheet of ice uh, after that first period, uh, eight hours later to play uh, that night. So what you saw on TV was sort of exactly what we experience there but I, I still don't think that anything that I could say any picture that I could take would do it any justice it, it certainly looked fantastic uh, on the other side of a television when did it become evident that the ice was going to be an issue it's a good question and it depended where on the ice because Grubauer had those patches around his net you saw him trying to fix it with his stick and uh, you know, he did, like he was sweeping and curling or something. Uh, but it, where there was a lot of paint, obviously that's absorbing sunlight. It's absorbing heat, and it's melting the ice a lot faster. Um, you started to know about the twelve-minute mark or so of the first period because that's when you're saying, "Oh, the referee's lost an edge. He's gone down to the ice." There goes Max Pacioretty. He's tripped up. Uh, Miko Rantanen. Uh, he loses an edge and goes down to the ice. When you're starting to acknowledge all the, the professional hockey players who are the best skaters on the planet going down, that's when you think that it may be an issue. Uh, and then when the period ended and referees Kelly Sutherland and Wes McCauley, along with, uh, with the captains, were having a discussion inside that center circle at center ice, you knew that it was uh, going to be a longer than 18-minute intermission. And... Uh, then Gary Bettman, Matthew Schneider from the NHLPA came in 
and they started to talk to both head coaches, Derek King uh, from NHL operations, Dan Craig, of course, uh, the ice guru there for the National Hockey League. We started to figure out that obviously it was not going to continue at that time. Then the next question was, would it be the next day or would it be later that night? They chose later that night, and I think that was the right decision for so many reasons because for the players, if you're going to play the next morning, you're, you're talking about a wake-up call that's before the sun even rises, and that's not how you maximize your product on the ice. Plus, you had a second game that day. So if it continues on into mid-morning, then you're getting sunlight on the ice for a longer period of time. It may not be ready for a morning skate for both Philadelphia and Boston to skate on, and it's definitely not going to be ready for a, uh, a 4.30 face-off later that day. So doing it at night, even though it was late on the East Coast, 9 o'clock Pacific time made the most sense. That's what they did. And uh, it ended up being great because you got the views during the daytime, and then you got that sort of pure feeling of playing an outdoor game uh, in 28, 27-degree weather underneath the lights at night. Now, you got to sit right up against the glass and call a game, which is, of course, a little bit different than what you're normally used to. Being <laughs> yes. r- right up against the surface there, could you notice anything maybe before everybody started tripping and falling down that maybe this might be an issue? It was hard to tell. I mean, the like I said, the, the, the difference between the blue line, for example, where I was and the white ice... Uh, high in the zone that you could tell the difference there the white ice even though it was indirect sunlight didn't have that slushy feel to it Mm -hmm. it it was definitely the center circle that was the biggest issue because uh, you're not going to go around it I mean everyone has to go right through it so uh, up close you could tell that there was definitely trouble spots uh, but it wasn't the entire ice surface that was in jeopardy so they make the decision they're going to postpone the game till eight hours later (laughs) (laughs) You're at a facility that's not a regular arena. There's different facilities out there. What was the mood like with the team when they found out, A, how long it was going to be, and B, what are we going to do with our time when it's not a normal venue to play in a hockey game? Um, it was interesting. I didn't really find out until later what the attitude was because I mean, the access is limited. You're not allowed to interact with the team in the way that you might normally do during a regular year. So you sort of found out later when we asked Coach Bednar in a pregame interview before the game versus Vegas on Monday said, you know, how they handled that. And he praised the team. They said, hey, they were ready to go right away. Uh, despite the ice conditions, they were ready to play and play through it. But when that was not going to be a possibility, then they sort of treated it like the first period was a morning skate and then periods two and three were like going home taking a nap, doing what you need to do, and then coming back for the game later that night. So the, the ability to roll with the changes, cue the REO Speedwagon song, uh, <laughs> was, uh, was, was very good for Colorado. And they continued what was a phenomenal first period. They only had one goal, but I thought that everyone's shifts, everyone's energy was, was right up there, and they continued that in uh, through the second and third period, eight, hour, eight hours later. Rolling off of that point, and being this an avalanche podcast, let me go ahead and ruffle some feathers real quick. We saw on television uh, Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon both talk about how, hey, they wanted to keep going. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine it was a product of how well they were playing in that first period. And second of all, do you think that this was more pushed by Vegas, that they didn't want to come out and have to play in this? I'm not sure. I mean, when Gary Beckman said that he, you know, it was not... uh, safe or appropriate to continue i mean that was true because the last thing you want is for anybody doesn't matter if it's nathan mckinnon or if it's zach whitecloud or if it's one of the linesmen uh to catch an edge on a piece of slush and blow a knee and then they're out for the rest of the season and beyond it puts their 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 career in jeopardy um not sure where the delay came from but the the official decision is obviously with the national hockey league and Get, from a safety standpoint, um, I, I, I think they absolutely made the right decision. I, I think there's one thing that some people may have forgotten. This is still a pandemic. Safety is still on the yeah. forefront. Well, and... I, right, and safety should be the number one concern mm-hmm. no matter what. Whether, yeah. you know, whether we're in 2021, 20, whatever year it is, or, or not, you have to have a, a safe playing surface 
uh, an environment for the players. So that I think that those were the grounds that that decision was made on. So the league obviously survived the the great sunshine disaster of <laughs> 2021. Yes, very well. I <laughs> How likely do you think that they will do something like this again? And do you foresee it in the future with fans? Or might they try it again without a crowd? Well, we were we were sort of kicking this around as a as a group the other day just for fun, and I I, I don't know I I have not talked to anybody at the league to see what they would do going forward, but I just said for me you know you, you get to play you know commissioner for a sec and you say look maybe what they could do is have three different series of outdoor games throughout the course of the year. You have your Winter Classic, which has become a staple on New Year's Day. Um, obviously in a packed stadium because, look, at the end of the day, the game is about the fans. It should be about the fans. And so you need to have as many people there as possible because anyone who attends an outdoor game uh, notes that that's a marquee event in their sports viewing life. So you have the Winter Classic, New Year's Day. You have a stadium series game or maybe multiple stadium series game that is played somewhere else outdoors, very similar to how the Avalanche and Kings played at Air Force last year. And then maybe you can have NHL outdoors where they pick a pristine place like they like Lake, Lake Tahoe. You could do Teton National Park in Wyoming. You could do the National Mall in Washington, D.C. You could pick these back to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. Imagine some of these places. You could pick that that's a meant for TV audience and have it as an outdoor game and then still have other outdoor events that fans can attend. Um, like I said, I'm not sure what they're going to do in the future. This may be one and done. And if that's the case, it's a great one and done. I think they they knocked it out of the park. I really do. But it really opens up possibilities to have different kinds of outdoor games going forward if they want to. Yeah, and they're pros at it now, right? They had all those obstacles 100%. they had to overcome and they knew how to right. deal with them. It can only, only get better as the years progress. Without a doubt, yes. So it was a great time in Tahoe. Everything, you know, for the most part, it went well. They they got through it. Uh, Avs mm -hmm. were able to get the win, their first outdoor win in Colorado Avalanche history. Let's talk about the team a little bit. They split the series with the Vegas Golden Knights. Oddly enough, the Avalanche won one at home and the other one... Also at home on the road, <laughs> I, I, I can I've gone cross. Divide by two, multiply yeah. <laughs> by the GDP. Yeah, I think you're right. Somehow won a home game in Nevada against Vegas. Right. Okay. Yes. Anyway, what's the, what what's the vibe of the team right now? Obviously, with the game that was played on Monday night, things didn't really go their way. They didn't look terrible. They just couldn't really get anything going. I'd imagine spirits are probably still high. Are they? Yeah. You 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 got to feel good because. Saturday was really the first day that you got most of your horses back in the barn. And it was good to see uh, Sam Gerard ahead of schedule, Landis Gog Jost. Uh, they were off the COVID list. They got to play for the first time. Kale McCarr returned after a two-game absence. So it was good to get everybody back. And getting a win in Vegas, by the way, without six, seven starters, including a backup netminder, I don't think people talked about that enough as a big win. The 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 game where Nassim Kadri gets the game winner uh, in in the last minute of the third period there at T-Mobile Arena, uh, that was a huge win. So splitting with Vegas, who's been full strength, uh, the best team in the West, is huge and expected. I would think. So, uh, do you want to win all of them? Yes. Is it likely you're going to win all of them? No. But given what happened and given uh, the performance by Marc-Andre Fleury on Monday night, uh, like you said, it wasn't without chances. Uh, defensively, I think they are not pleased with with how they handled the Monday game at Ball Arena in Denver. But I think a 2-2 two, two split in a four-game series with the best team in the Western Conference, I think, is just about right. Because this uh, this is going to, if it isn't, going to turn into a little bit of a rivalry. I mean, you saw the end of the game, Will Carrier shoots the puck. At Philip Grubauer, Avalanche not happy with with Carrier's hit on Landeskog at the outdoor game. So the fact that it, each game is competitive, you get two wins apiece, and you have events like that. Uh, this is going to be a good playoff series, and it's going to happen coming up. Uh, we at almost ninety nine percent sure this year. So uh, I think the team is still in a good spot, and they're resilient in every game that they've lost this year, the next game they have come back to win. 
5-0 and in games after a loss this season. So I would expect that uh, as they follow up versus Minnesota. I was going to reference that tweet. You beat me to it. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I stole your thunder. I'm sorry, Eric. Oh, you had find to get all the in, credit. You were the one who posted find, it. Find it in your heart to forgive me. <laughs> so we have to talk about goaltending, of course. Is Philip Grubauer the MVP of this team? Is it really much of a question at this point? Well, I, I think that what he's doing is he's quieting any critics that he may have had before the season because I can't tell you how many people I talked to and how many shows I went on where the main question was, why didn't the Avalanche go out and spend some money in one of the 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 biggest free agent goalie markets in a long time? And I think the answer is, is because they know that they have Philip Grubauer and Philip Grubauer worked to stay healthy and he worked to get to a place that he was. Remember how good he was in that 2019 playoff series versus Calgary? Uh, that's where he is now. So I think it's showing what he can do and what he really is as a netminder. And that was, you know, that was astute non-move by Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland because they, they knew that that was going to be the case for Philip Grubauer. Uh, to, to be, a, in my mind, a top four goaltender in the National Hockey League. And you had two, two of the top four going head-to-head -head in this series, all four games, Vegas and Colorado, Flurry on the other end. And and how could you not be one of the best when you get two shutouts in those four games? So uh, Philip Grubauer, I think uh, he he won't say so, but I would say that I'll say for him that he's quieting some of the the, the critics of his that uh, that the Avalanche needed to go out and get somebody else to play in between the pipes this season. Do you think he'll get a day off this week? <laughs> um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see um, because – you do have the back-to-back, -back, the reschedule coming up with Arizona that was not supposed to be a back-to-back, -back, but mm -hmm. it is now with the, the the shuffling that the league has had to do. So now you're Friday, Saturday at the Coyotes. Uh, and it's hard to say. I mean, Flurry played back-to-back -back last week at San Jose and then home versus Colorado. And in the second game, he had a one nothing shutout. So <laughs> it's always up to the goaltender. Um whether he's good to go the next night or not. And, and knowing Philip Grubauer and knowing how the team has actually played uh, phenomenally defensively in front of him, uh, he's not facing north of 30 shots too often. So he can be well-rested and play back-to-back -back if he needs to. I did want to ask you about Marc-Andre Fleury before, before we wrapped up because you mm -hmm. spent some time with that Vegas organization. You saw him up close. Is he playing the best he ever has right now? I'll tell you what, the first round playoff series in 2018 versus the LA Kings was Marc-Andre Fleury versus Jonathan Quick. You, we, we know where you are. You watched that series. You saw that that was probably the best goaltending matchup in Stanley Cup playoffs history. Yeah. It's true. Had it not been for the lack of offense from the uh, LA Kings, uh, I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, Jonathan Quick was phenomenal. Marc-Andre Fleury was just one save better. Um, mm -hmm. That, I mean, obviously he's won multiple Stanley Cups. Um, 2009 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And obviously it was, it was split time in the back-to-back -back championships in 16 and 17. But, uh, but Marc-Andre Fleury showed it in that series versus the Kings all the way through to the cup final. Uh, and then... I mean, it's another resurgence. Everyone said that his career is over, but then he, he comes through with a week and really a season like he's having right now. So I, I think his attitude and, and his work is a lot to say for that because he's one of the most pleasant human beings you could ever be around. And you, you, you want to dislike him after a performance <laughs> like that, but it's nearly impossible. I just wanted to make everybody feel better about what happened over the weekend <laughs> that hey, this is this isn't going to happen right. every night you're not going to run no, into a guy like not. this all the time no 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 and no. the good news is is every game the avalanche have played against the the knights this year that they have scored a goal they've won so that's exactly that, right they just got to get go. one and they're going to win that's all you just need you just need one just need one connor mcgahee from altitude sports radio 92.5 fm thanks so much connor for being here really appreciate it hopefully we'll talk to you soon oh eric it is my pleasure thanks for having me and again, a big thank you to Connor McGahee for stopping by the radio voice of your Colorado Avalanche. In that game, of course, Avs finally get things done outside. They win the game by a 3-2 final score. Same score they beat the Knights just a few days before out in the Vegas desert. 
As a matter of fact, the Tahoe game was Vegas' 250th game in franchise history. Sammy Girard in the first two minutes gets the opening goal in that one. Beats Flurry five hole and one of the few times they were able to beat Flurry over the last two games. They had a one nothing lead going into that second period. Vegas able to tie things up after an eight hour delay. Ice was bad. We talked about it with Connor McGahee. They decided that they would have to wait till 10 p.m. Mountain Time to continue the game. Boy, that's late. But hey, you got to do what you got to do to get the games in, especially when you have a venue that's probably not going to exist in a few days. <laughs> so they play that third period real late. Abs get a couple power plays, can't do anything. Vegas ties it up. Alec Martinez on the rebound. and Really no chance for Drew to get in front of that one. Petrangelo had the heavy shot that led to that huge rebound. Then Nathan McKinnon, probably what was the most gif-worthy clip on social media during the game with Alex Petrangelo just calling out as he sees it. McKinnon gets the puck, starts skating at him, and he says, oh boy, he knew it was coming. And there's not much you can do about it. Nate goes right by him and blasts it by Marc-Andre Fleury to give the Avs a 2-1 lead at the end of the second period. That had a 4-on-3 in that frame after a lot of penalties. But uh, neither team able to do anything on either of those scenarios. So we go to the third period. Colorado grabs the goal from Devon Taves right off the draw. Good screen in front there by Miko Rantanen making up for standing at the blue line during the game just three days before. Vegas came back. They score to make it 3-2. to two. And that one was tough because Grubauer lost his stick on the play. It didn't really become a huge factor in the goal, but it does rattle with your head a little bit. Pushes you a little bit out of position. Third line had a chance to push it back to a two-goal lead before the end of the game. The extra attacker came out just for a small period of time as Fleury headed to the bench. But there wasn't much of a storm put up by Fleury after the great sunshine incident of 2021 in the Avs. Finally, win an outdoor game 3-2, to two, the final score. They outshoot the Knights in this one, 39-29. Really looked like they were going to dominate from start to finish. They came out blazing in that first period. And then, of course... A long delay slows you down a little bit. They looked fine coming out to get the win. Three stars in this one. Nathan McKinnon, the goal, two assists. The number one star, no doubt about it. Devon Taves, a goal and an assist for me at number two. And yes, I love him again, even after one small mistake. Miko Rantanen, your third star, getting two assists. Now we move to the final game of the week. We'll talk about the game on Monday. First Monday game of the entire season for the Avalanche. So how about that? for scheduling. First period, very, very quiet. Obviously, the Avalanche did not come out great. They were very sluggish. It was a sloppy game from start to finish for them. And when it's all said and done, a couple bounces here and there, they could have easily won this thing 5-1, to 5-3. to three. A couple of mishaps really did them in, but hey, that's hockey, and you got to play from start to finish. Knights looked like they were getting better defensively. They were learning how to play against Colorado. Even on the penalty kill, you saw they would drop a man back so the Avs don't get that drop pass that they like to get to Nathan McKinnon to get that zone entry, or at least get that momentum through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. They were dropping somebody back to make sure there was no pass there. Knights had a power play in the first period, but it was killed off. Ryan Graves had a pretty good penalty kill for himself on that one. Avs got a little bit of momentum after Vegas looked like they were going to take the bull by the horns. And then Marc-Andre Fleury just went nuts and literally stood on his head and started shouldering everything aside. Blocker here, arm there, get the chest in the way, and he did everything. Second period begins, and it was just a nightmare from start to finish for the Avalanche. Power play for Vegas. Alex Tuck splits right between Tyson Jost and Ryan Graves, and he was able to bury it right past Grubauer. one nothing Knights, okay. You're down one nothing. Not that big of a deal, but they never really got back into a rhythm. Nazem Kadri had probably the best look of his life on an empty net, or what looked to be an empty net. Fleury was able to push off and move to the side, and as per usual, comes up with a huge save, which I, I think I put it on Twitter during the game, too. I think Mark Mosier on Altitude TV might have a new catchphrase, and I think it's, Shot! Save by Fleury! Shot! Save by Fleury! I, I don't know what else he said throughout that entire game because that's all I heard over and over and over again. March or so ends up capping off that period with a big goal. 
a real soft one given up by Grubauer. You know it, I know it, I'm sure he knows it. Just a bad night. 3 nothing Vegas after two as he couldn't stop that shot from the point. In the third period, I don't even have a ton of notes because there wasn't very much that happened. It was just Marc-Andre Fleury over and over and over again. He earned my number one star of the game. Wasn't even close. He's got three shutouts so far this season before the completion of games on Tuesday night. And he leads the NHL, tied for the lead, with three shutouts. And two of them are against Colorado. The one nothing game in the first game of the series. Book ending it with a 3 nothing win here on Monday night. So a 2-2 series between Vegas and Colorado after they play their first four. Avalanche win one at home and one on the road during the series, but both of them were in Nevada. Go figure that out. <laughs> oh, I love when crazy things like that happen, don't you? I know. I'm a different kind of person. You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. You can follow us on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. We put up polls every now and again. We want to hear your thoughts also. Send us your comments, your concerns, your questions if you have any. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well, at Eric underscore Pesolano. It's the same handle on both. I figured I'd make it easy for you. The only work you got to do is you got to find out how to spell my last name, but it's in the graphic of this podcast, so I'm sure you're going to figure it out very, very soon. All right, let's move on to Know Your Foe. we got three opponents coming up this week for Colorado. They're going to kick off the week Wednesday night against the Minnesota Wild. Minnesota's played four games since February 2nd, which was the last time the Avalanche and Wild met on the ice before all those COVID postponements happened. All of the games that the Wild have played since that meeting were in California against the Kings and Ducks. They were just absolutely blasted by the Kings, and then they turn around and do the reverse to Anaheim. Anaheim right now not looking great, although the kid finally got a chance to debut for Anaheim. Trevor Zegras comes up, plays his first career game against the Arizona Coyotes, which we'll talk about the Coyotes in a minute because they're on the schedule this week as well. Looked okay for the first few minutes, felt like he was going to fit right in before all the wheels fell off for everybody wearing black and orange, but that's neither here nor there. Back to the wild. Minnesota's given up 38 goals so far this season. It's the fifth least in the NHL. Yes, a lot of it has to do with them not playing as many games, but if you look at just the raw numbers, it is the second least in the division behind the Vegas Golden Knights. So another good defensive team who's had decent goaltending. It ain't great. They're getting the job done, I guess. Minnesota trying to hang in and pick up that four spot, get to the playoffs. New team we're going to see on the schedule, the final team in the division that the Avalanche have not played yet is the team they defeated in the first round of the postseason back in the bubble in Edmonton, the Arizona Coyotes, which I'm sure you've all heard by now. Is it a franchise in turmoil? The Athletic coming out with the story about their new owner, Alex Morello, general manager Bill Armstrong and their dealings and how they run the organization. I wasn't there. I don't know anybody who was there. You can only take everything with a grain of salt, of course. The only thing I'll say is most of the time where there's smoke, there's fire. How great is it over there? I don't know. I'm not really here to talk about the negative on this podcast. We want to keep it positive. We want to focus on the hockey, but it was too big of a story to ignore, especially with some of the allegations that came out in that story. You can go check it out on The Athletic. Pretty deep insight with some former employees letting you know what's going on there in the desert. Anyway, let's talk about hockey. Avs and Coyotes met in the first round of the playoffs last year. Avs won in five. We remember that. Coyotes won a series too. We forget. They had to win in the qualifying round. They beat the Predators in a best-of-five series. On the ice for Arizona, they played seven consecutive games against the St. Louis Blues. That means they only have one left against St. Louis. Obviously, that was a result of Minnesota and Colorado both being out because of COVID that they had to make up a lot of those games and figured, hey, well, since you both don't have an opponent for these next week and a half, let's go ahead and schedule them all in a row. And Arizona fared pretty well. They got eight points in the standings, helping out the Avs big time there near the top of the Honda NHL West division. So after seven games in a row against the Blues, Arizona finally got to play somebody else. They took on LA and Anaheim, and they fared pretty well over those few games. They are clinging to that fourth spot in the West, by the time they were done with LA and Hanaheim, things have shifted since then. They've slid down into that five spot. The LA Kings are now up at that number four 
slot in the West. So we'll see what happens as the season goes on. Av's going to see the Kings. They come on up pretty quick here in a couple of weeks or so. So the game for Arizona against Anaheim on Monday night, they were down 3 nothing pretty quickly. And then everything just fell apart for Anaheim. And Arizona took the bull by the horns and came back, won that thing 4-3. to If we're looking at bright spots here for Arizona, since we haven't previewed him yet this year, Connor Garland, he's going to turn 25 on March 11th. He leads the team in points with 16. Seven of those are goals. Six players in double figures in points so far this year. Phil Kessel and Nick Schmaltz and Christian Dvorak are among those players. And speaking of Schmaltz and Dvorak, Schmaltz turning 25 on Tuesday. So happy birthday to him. Christian Dvorak just turned 25 back on February 2nd. Happy belated birthday to Christian Dvorak. Young team up front for Arizona. So keep an eye on those guys. Goaltending, it's Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta who carry the brunt of the load. Kemper, of course, the main starter. He's the number one. He's played in 15 games so far this year. He's 6-7-2 so far. Spent the first five years of his career in Minnesota, now out in the desert with the Coyotes. Andy Ranta has only played in three games, but he hasn't lost in regulation yet. He's 2-0-1, and that's a guy who spent the first four years of his career, two in Chicago, two in New York with the Rangers. The final opponent this week for Colorado will be the San Jose Sharks. They'll play one game to wrap up the week between our shows. San Jose is 4-3-2 since the Avalanche last met them on the ice. Now that's the record, of course, as this podcast debuts. Sharks will have a few more games to add to that record as the week goes on. Four of those nine games went to overtime for San Jose. Three of them in shootouts. Sharks have four shootout wins this year. It's the most in the West. No other team has won more than one. So, you know, they're all losing to San Jose. That's pretty much how that's working, although the Avs have not played in a shootout yet so far this season. On the other end of the spectrum, 64 goals allowed this year for San Jose. It's the second most in the National Hockey League. I would give you three guesses to figure out who the team that's allowed the most goals in the league this year, and you probably wouldn't need two of them. It's the Ottawa Senators. Logan Couture leads the way for the Sharks with 16 points so far this season. He's got 10 goals Playing very, very well for a team that is trying to do whatever they can to get out of the cellar in the West. Once again, you're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. You can follow along with the show on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well, at Eric underscore Pesolano on both. You can also listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and if you do, You can subscribe, you can rate it, and you can review it. I want to hear your thoughts. Let us know how we're doing. And go ahead and give us however many stars you think. I'm not going to sit here and advocate for five stars. That's not my personality. I need to know how I'm doing, and I need you to be honest with me so we can improve things around this joint if they're not going the way you'd like them to. If you think I'm worth two stars, I will gladly take your two stars and do my best to at least increase that by one or two. Just being real with you, that's all. Let's take a look at the standings out in the Honda NHL West Division. The Vegas Golden Knights at the time of this podcast, meaning before the games on Tuesday night were completed. 23 points in 16 games played. The Blues are right behind them with 22 points in 19 games played. Avs sitting there in that three spot, 19 points, but only 15 games played. They've played the least amount of games in the division, tied with Minnesota for the fewest there. Avs, Kings, and Coyotes all have 19 points. Kings hold the tiebreaker currently over Arizona. That is points percentage because they have 19 points in 17 games. Arizona, 19 points in 18 games. Wild Sharks and Ducks round out the bottom of the division, but Minnesota just one point behind the three spot with 18. San Jose has 16 points in 17 games played. Anaheim, they are reeling right now. They need a win. 15 points in 19 games played find themselves Eight points out of first place. Only four out of a playoff spot. And they've played the most amount of games in the division this year tied with the Blues. So they've got a lot to catch up with before they can even think about making it to the postseason. It's been a few years since they were there trying to get back. I was one of the optimistic ones out here. I live in Southern California. I thought the Ducks would be a little bit better than what's happening right now. Plenty of time for them to pick it up. Zegris is coming up. Maybe he can help out. So far, that first game did not go the way they had hoped. Up 3-0 and lose 4-3 to Arizona. But keep an eye on the Ducks. See what they can do. 
Although right now, doesn't look great. It's almost feeling like it's going to be Anaheim and San Jose hanging out at the bottom of the pack by the time the season is complete. All right, before we get out of here, we had a poll question last week. I told you we'd talk about it on the air. And that question was, should the NHL change the replay system? And this is all stemming from that horrendous missed call against Vegas in that first game where there were six Knights on the ice and six Avalanche on the ice. They called too many men against Colorado, did not call it against Vegas. Vegas had six players further away from the benches than Colorado did, and somehow the Avs were the ones who got penalized for it. Should this be challengeable? Should they have the opportunity to correct this wrong? Right now, you can only challenge goaltender interference and offside on a goal. Here's my take on it. Actually, you know what? I want to hear your take on it. So let's take a look at a couple of the posts here from Instagram. At Fisk underscore 99 says, Icings would be very technical if it's a close race. Otherwise, it seems like, I'm paraphrasing here, it seems like he'd be for it. Uh, But icings would be very difficult to adjudicate. And you're right about that because it's hybrid icing. Uh, And that stems from my comment saying, I think you should be able to challenge everything. Whatever you want. I don't need you to throw a flag, but if something on the ice doesn't go the way it should have, you should have the right to challenge it no matter what it is. Which leads into this next question or this next statement from at SoCalWeasel who says, why not? If you limit challenges, it won't slow the game down. And that is the point I'm looking for. Why not be able to challenge every single thing if you only get one or two for the entire game? It's not going to slow the game down very much. It might take a minute to look at whatever it is you're challenging, but if you can only challenge once or twice throughout an entire game, why not? Why not make it open to being able to challenge anything? And that's where I'm coming from. Do you agree or do you disagree? Let me know on Twitter and Instagram. And or Instagram. You don't need to post it on both. That's redundant. Just pick one. At Eric underscore Pesolano. Hit me up. Or at Believe in Avs. You can send it there too. The fine people who run that social media account do a great job. I'm sure they'll be willing to filter through it and send it to me. Also, I'm the one who runs that Twitter account. So there you go. That's going to do it for us today on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. we got a lot for you coming up next week. Avs have four games between now and next Wednesday. So I hope you enjoy those, and hopefully they can pick up eight points. Always root for eight points in four games. That's what we want to see. I've already promoted social media. I usually do that at the end of the show, but I've already said it. I'm not going to do it again. Just go follow me on the everything. You can find me. You know what you're doing. That's all from me. You've been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Eric Pesolano. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Go Abs, go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.